Welcome back to another episode of GEMS Podcast with Genesis Amaris Kemp, where the core pillars are to educate, inspire, and motivate. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this segment. Welcome back to GEMS Podcast. I'm the founder and host, Miss Genesis Amaris Kemp. And with me today is Vicki Oliver. And here's a bit about Vicki. Vicki Oliver is a leading career development expert and the multi-best-selling author of five books, including 301 Smart Answers to Tough Interview Questions, Sourcebooks 2005. She's been named in the top 10 list of the best books for HR interview prep, 301 Smart Answers to Tough Business Etiquette Questions, which is Sky Horse 2010, and Bad Bosses, Crazy Coworkers, and Other Office Idiots, <laughs> Sourcebooks 2008. She is a sought-after speaker and seminar presenter and a popular media source. Having made over 901 appearances in broadcast, print, and online outlets, and you could definitely find out more information by visiting her website, which is vickioliver.com. And today, Vicky and I are going to spend time looking at the expected widespread post-pandemic job hopping. So without further ado, please welcome Vicki Oliver to GEMS Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate being here. My pleasure, Vicki. We're going to start off with an icebreaker just to get to know you a little bit better. And you have the option to share a crazy thing that you've done in your life or a fun but interesting fact about yourself. Okay. Well, I don't know if it's crazy, but the way I got started in this field is that I was working in advertising and I was a copywriter and then I grew later to be a creative director and I was interviewing people you know to join our team and people would walk in and they wouldn't know anything about me or the ad agency right they would come in sort of roll in maybe 10 minutes late or whatever you know <laughs> and they would be you know it was very, their conversation was so generic they didn't know our clients they didn't know anything about our company right and so I thought literally about 150 times, I'm going to write a book someday about this because you, buddy boy, are blowing the interview and you don't even realize it. You know? And that's how, that's how the genesis started because I was a creative person. You know, I was not in HR. Uh, I did not have any degree in human resources or whatever. I was just a creative person writing ad copy, but people were really blowing their interviews. And I thought, I am going to expose this. I'm going to figure it all out. And I'm going to write about it. So that was how I started. Awesome. And it's funny that you mentioned that as your crazy but interesting fact, because what some people don't realize is that the minute you set foot in that room, your interview begins because they're already sizing you up. They're looking at your body language. They're analyzing how you're dressed. And then what are some of your overall mannerisms? And I think um, no matter what stage you are in your career, you should always be prepared whenever you are getting ready to walk into a interview space, whether it's an informal interview or a formal interview. 
So right. thank you. Can I just add to that or something? So sure. I actually think it starts like in the old days when interviews were in person and not on Zoom, right? Um, I would say it even starts when you get out of the elevator, right? Because let's say there's a receptionist there, you know, and that person knows you're there for an interview. And do you walk right by that person without saying hello? No, you don't, right? It's like it, the impression actually starts the second you get off the elevator. And then maybe you're sitting there for 10 minutes or 15 minutes waiting for the person who is going to be interviewing you, right? What are you doing? Are you checking your mobile device? You know, are you making phone calls? I mean, that is a huge error and people don't even realize it. Like you just have to be sort of patient and in the moment and just realize this is going to end. Somebody will come out and meet me, you know, but don't get impatient. Don't get impatient. Wow. I didn't even think about the, um, cell phone component of it or just stepping off the elevator or maybe not even the elevator because some buildings are just the one story just walking into the front door so we could preface that so vicky let's jump into our topic of job hopping post pandemic because you know the market is you know constantly changing a lot of people got comfortable working from home um we're now in the great resignation where people are leaving their brick and mortar corporate jobs and doing, you know, something that fulfills them, something that drives their passion and the list goes on and on. So let's break down what you actually mean by expected widespread post pandemic job hopping. And the reason why I'm, I want you to explain your terminology of the meaning is because it, we're gonna lay the foundation and then we're gonna build up so our listeners as well as the viewers could connect where you're coming from. Right, okay, perfect. So right now we are in a major transition period, okay? We have lived through two plus years of the pandemic. And during that period of time, work went remote, you know? So in the past, meaning two plus years ago, right? If somebody wanted to work at home on a Friday, that was considered a perk, right? You know, oh, we're being so generous to you. You can work from home on Friday, you know? And then suddenly, boom, the pandemic you know, comes in and now all work is remote, right? Every day, Monday through Friday, is completely remote. And first of all, bosses needed to trust their workers more, like on their own time. And bosses needed to become more flexible, right? Now, during this two plus years, workers have had a chance to assess whether or not they believe in the mission of their company, whether or not they like their jobs. I mean, everybody gained uh, time because we didn't have to commute to the office, right? We didn't have to get on the subway or get in our cars and get there and then get back. So we all gained like a few extra hours, right? Plus we gained no gossip, right? There was no water cooler gossip, you know, and, and all this stuff, right? And we, but we lost, we lost going out to lunch with our colleagues, right? Which is kind of fun, you know, or maybe an office party could be kind of fun. So there were gains and losses, but overall, I would say we gained, workers gained time, respect, you know, for our abilities and with less gossip and chatter. Okay, now it's two years later and 
we've assessed, are we happy with our jobs? Do we like them? Do we believe in the mission of the company? Does the company believe in us? Are we growing? Are we stagnant? You know, and the result is like a lot of job happening is happening right now. People are just trying to look for jobs where they're respected, where they believe in the mission. You know, maybe they get a little more money for their talents. And also one other thing that we gained in the last two plus years is technology skills. Because before, if we didn't know how to do something, maybe somebody else on staff knew how to do it, right? Maybe somebody younger knew how to do it, whatever. In the past two plus years, we had to learn how to do it ourselves, right? So we're all more tech savvy as a result of this, right? We've built our skills and people are now moving jobs, you know, and one in four workers are planning to look for a new job right now. Wow. And those are all prevalent and much needed information because the reason why I say that is my background is oil and gas. So I just want to preference that I have 12 years in the industry, but 15 in corporate America. And I'm going to speak from a millennial perspective. Millennials, apparently, I stayed at this Fortune 500 company for seven and a half years. But apparently, people in my age group and my demographics feel like a career with the company is now two years versus that five year of staying with a company where you're vested and then they move on because they want to continue to challenge themselves. But then they're also going out for that, those um, perks, they're going out for that higher salary and et cetera. So then one of the questions I had is why is a career two years with a company? Because back in the in the days, people would look to see how long you stayed with a company to show your tenure, looking at that longevity and et cetera, to see, okay, is this person going to be with us for the long haul or are they going to be with us for the short haul? And you um, coming in to this conversation with your background, knowledge and expertise, can you speak on that a little bit, Vicki? Yeah, I mean, I think, it's coming from the fact that it's not a buyer's market, you know, it's actually a worker's market. Uh, there's shortages in all kinds of different areas, you know, for workers, and that gives workers more power, you know, and I think younger people like to have a shorter timeline. They want to be appreciated. They don't want to, you know, put in all this time in the company. Five years is a long period of time, right? Come on, <laughs> five years. Oh my lord, you know. And so they don't want to. They don't want to put in the time, and they can sort of get away with it now because workers are in demand. The other thing that has shifted so much, I think, in the past, I'm going to say five or even ten years, uh, is that it's now more important than ever to really build your skills, right? You really have to have skills. You need technology skills. You need soft skills also. And I think that before, um, before technology was such a massive force in all of our lives, I think that loyalty was probably more rewarded right? But today, I think that skills are more needed, you know? So hopefully, I mean, I think it's great if somebody can stay at the company for five years or even 10 years and show the loyalty and the progression, right? There's a value to institutional knowledge that you probably can't get in two years. But if a company needs like skilled people to come in, you know, and like do their social media and, you know, do, you know, create videos, create movies, like, you know, really high tech, um, you know, skills are needed. That's going to be more reward, you know, than just pure loyalty. So 
it's just a very interesting time. That said, I always think people get a little further when they stay at a company, you know? Like, let's say you're mildly unhappy and you don't love your boss, you know? I would say, try to stick it out, you know? Maybe your boss will leave in two years or a year or something like that, and then you'll be promoted to that spot. I mean, there's still the thing that when you go into a new place of business, you have to prove yourself, right? And maybe the timeline for that has shrunk a bit, but you still have to prove yourself. It's still new people, there's still new politics there, and you're not gonna be able to know everything from an organizational chart, right? You're gonna to have to chart your own path and figure it out, right? Who's really in power despite their title, you know? Who's the go-to person in spite of what they're called and all that, and it just doesn't come, you know, like that. It takes a while to move into it and to understand it, you know? Absolutely, because I think that it takes anywhere from eight months to a year to get settled into the position. And then once you're settled into the position, then you want to understand the company policies, you want to understand what the company perks are, and then most importantly, you want to network, and not just within your immediate group, but outside of your group, who knows you, and do they know you for what you bring to the table, or do they know you by the work that you're producing, or etc.? And then how is that going to set you up for success? And one of the reasons that I've been successful in corporate America was because I took the reins and control back and I started navigating my career because not only did I start over once, but I started over twice. The first time I was an imaging clerk. And when I left that employer, I left as an HSC manager, which is health, safety and environmental. Then the next company was the Fortune 500, where I started as an administrative assistant. And when I left there, I was in trade regulations and compliance as a coordinator, and I had the perks where I would, you know, represent my company in C-suite executive meetings. I got to travel and all of that, but I did not allow my company to define my um, progression and where I was going to go corporate. I began to network, and I got to do stretch opportunities, which are those um, activities that you're doing along with complementing your base job. And I think that's important to preface it no matter where you are in your career, making sure that you're always staying relevant and making sure that you could take more onto your plate, not just sitting there and expecting things to come to you because they're not always going to come to you. Wow, that's very impressive. That's great that you were able to do that. So Vicki, um, I know you speak on 13 tips um, for nailing a job interview remotely. And I think remote is the way to go because it gives people that flexibility to spend time at home. You don't have to worry about using a vacation day to go to the doctor. I'm like, that's not a vacation day for me to go to the doctor or the dentist. A vacation day is where I could actually unplug. So I think a lot of remote jobs are popping up, but sometimes people are hearing, oh, I'm sorry, we've selected another candidate or you're overqualified. But if someone is overqualified, why not give that individual a shot in case they want the job? Maybe they want something with less stress, despite what their resume says. So can you add any value around those or maybe um, highlight what those 13 tips are? Yes. So first of all, you brought up really two, I think, two interesting points. One is the shift to remote interviewing. And I'm going to get to that in a second. But I also want to talk to the overqualified question. So to me, overqualified is code for you're too old for the job. That's what I think overqualified means. And I think, um, I think also, you know, it's a way of 
trying to sort of soften the blow, okay? Because it's illegal actually to say that somebody is too old for a job. You can't really say that. So I have a question really quick there because I've gotten the overqualified and it was because I'm trying to go from the oil and gas background into the tech space, but I'm a millennial. I'm just in my early 30s. So um, are there two components to the overqualified, even though you're saying that it could be a cop-out for age? Um, I think, you know, maybe they feel like you make too much money. Uh, you know what I mean? Like I've gotten the overqualified thing too on the money thing, but I just want to say it is like absolutely a cop-out on the employer's part. And I think that when somebody says that you should try to politely challenge them, you know, um, I was told I was overqualified actually pretty recently um, for, for an internship that I took. And, uh, and I, I didn't really actually know how to do the stuff yet. So I was like, I'm not overqualified, you know what I mean? But I am qualified. So I actually think that if you could say you are qualified, but not overqualified, you know, there's usually some assumption there like, oh, she makes too much money. She's too old to learn or something like that. And they're couching it in a softer term. That's my opinion. Um, but I would politely challenge it because I think that most of the time it's not true. It's not true that the person's actually overqualified. They're just qualified, but they are different in some way than what the employer thinks in their mind. Okay. So an impression is made in 30 seconds or less, right? You walk in, you get off that elevator or you turn on your computer and you're on the Zoom thing, right? And in 30 seconds, the other person says, I like this person or I don't like this person. I see her at the company, my company, or I don't see them at the company, okay? And there's any number of reasons why they might feel that way. It's like in the blink of an eye, basically, somebody makes a decision about you. Now, if they are deciding that you are overqualified, then you need to devote the rest of the interview to proving that you're not overqualified, but merely qualified, you know, and to get them to try to adjust their sort of preconception of you. That's really important. Now on the remote, oh, sorry, go on. So I want to add something there because one thing that I've done, and let me know if you agree with this or not, is whenever I get, sorry, we've selected another candidate or you're overqualified or whatever their reasoning is, I ask them, can you provide feedback to me on what, what gave the other candidate a competitive advantage over my background or et cetera? And I think that's a fair question to ask, but obviously I'm not in HR and my background's not in HR. It's actually supply chain and logistics and tech. But I think that asking for that feedback shows that, okay, I want to learn so I could improve. Do you think that's a fair question? I think it's a great question to ask. And I think you're like really brave to ask it. I don't usually advocate to ask it, but the only reason is because I don't think that the people are necessarily going to be that honest about their reasoning. You know, and the reason that they're not going to be honest is not because they're dishonest. It's because they, they are worried about lawsuits and all this. You know what I mean? So it's going, you know what I mean? If the real reason is you're too old to work here, they're never going to tell you that, right? They're just going to sort of couch it in sort of a soft thing. Like, oh, there were like hundreds of fantastic candidates. And, you know, we just really, da, 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 and like you were close, but like ultimately we blah, 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 you know? So, so that I don't, the only reason I don't advocate it is because I, I worry that somebody is not going to actually get an honest answer, you know? And why drive yourself crazy with feedback 
if it, the answer is not going to be truthful, you know, but I still think it's great that you do that. Have you gotten good answers? I have. Okay, good, good. Okay, so I'm willing to adjust my thought on that. I just, you know, that's good. If you felt like it helped you, I think that that's good. I think it takes a certain like type of personality to be able to do that also, you know, cause you're, you're contending with the rejection, right? And then you want even more feedback on it, you know what I mean? So more power to you, you know, that you, that you have that strength. Um, I also want to talk a little bit about remote interviews, which was the beginning of uh, your question. I found it quite an adjustment to be on remote, just period, being interviewed. I think one reason that it's difficult is because you can see yourself and the other person. And in a real interview, in an in-person interview, you can't see yourself. And it can be off-putting to see yourself. And then you're thinking, well, am I looking okay? You know? And it's like, it's hard to maintain eye contact with like the other person, which is what you should be doing and look at yourself at the same time. Very difficult, you know? You're multitasking with your eyes, okay? <laughs> That's the problem. So when you have a remote interview, the first thing I would say is just try to look at the other person and try to ignore yourself. That would be like tip number one. You know, and then I'd say also the lighting, like I had to really play with around with the lighting because like my computer, it makes me look like a tomato and I, I don't really have like really super red skin, but like on my computer, I look like a tomato. So I had to adjust and make all kinds of micro adjustments in this room, for example, even to be having a talk like this today, you know? Um, and so pay attention, like you need your lights behind the screen, right? I mean, like a, a light should be shining on you, not, not, and you shouldn't be shrouded in shadow, for example, you know, and the color that you wear, like your clothing, all of that stuff is making an impression, plus which people can see where you are, right? And so if you're a person that has lots of piles, like I'm a piles person, <laughs> you know, I, I have to clear them out so that you can't see the things I'm working on while we're having this conversation, right? You want the focus to be on you, not on your piles of stuff. So it's a lot, it's a lot to, you know, make it be sort of okay. But then once you get the lighting down and once you get used to it and you get used to not looking at yourself, <laughs> I think you'll do like way better. Okay, those are really great tips. So as you were talking about the lighting, one thing that popped up was um, ring lighting. So I have a USB ring light that I keep right um, on my desk that hovers over my computer. So I use that. And then whenever it's a light outside, I have two windows that um, are in the space I record. So I use a natural light because I think that it um, helps, you know, bring that light to my face my face and etc. But if it's gloomy, then of course, I'll use the room lighting. Um, some people use virtual backgrounds. I don't know what your thoughts are re regarding virtual background. And some really do really do look really realistic, Vicky, because <laughs> I had to ask someone I was like, is that your office? It's really nice. And they're like, no, it's a virtual background. <laughs> so I, I consider it a virtual, this is not a virtual background, as you may realize. Okay, that is a real window. Um, I, I, I'm not big with the virtual backgrounds, but the reason is because when you move your head against a virtual background, sometimes there's like a, a ziggy shadow thing that happens. 
And I, again, I feel like that's a distraction. Basically, interviews last 40 minutes, right? That's the typical length of an interview. And during that time, you're trying to make a great impression on the person. So it's all about minimizing distractions, like minimizing the phone, you know, minimizing, like if there's raining outside, I thought that was a good one, but you said, like now my window blinds are open, but if it were pouring outside, I wouldn't have that because it's a distraction. You don't want somebody to be distracted from you and anything you can do to avoid the distractions, I think is helpful, you know? So that like, Backgrounds are beautiful looking, but if you move your head and it creates like a ziggy thing, you know, then that's a distraction. <laughs> so I would say try to avoid anything, you could, any distractions during it and just look at the other person, try to make eye contact with the other person during it. That's a good, um, that's a really good tip because I know if you're conducting your, um, interview on zoom there's a way that you can mirror yourself back to yourself or you can invert it and sometimes people like using the inversion versus the mirror because it actually helps them you not not be focused too much on themselves or if you're using microsoft teams or etc just understand the platform and i always encourage people to test out the platform before it's time for your interview that way you could work out tech um Tech, technical glitches because your sound may be off, your internet speed, the lighting or whatever. And you definitely want to just make sure that you took the time to prepare. So the person on the receiving end sees that you are actually, you know, interested in the position. And some people say show up five to 10 minutes early. And depending like what platform you're using, again, like on Zoom, it will actually send the person a note whenever you've logged on to the meeting. Not sure if it does that on Microsoft Teams or not. Right, right. I, I also wanted to say, you know, what I do, most of the things that I've been on, most of the interviews have been through Zoom, actually. Um, so I just want to say that I also go on, like when you're sent the link, I also go on to the link beforehand like maybe a day beforehand, just to make sure that it's going to the right, you know, it'll, it'll say, this is so-and-so's personal meeting room, something like that, just to make sure that it's going there. You know, another thing to be really careful about is the time. If somebody's interviewing you and they're not in your time zone, you need to make sure that the time that you received is the time that you're both meeting, you know, at the same time. Okay, <laughs> uh, that's really super important. I've been uh, I've, sometimes I'm invited to things, and I, I live, you know, in New York City. Okay, I'm Eastern time, so sometimes I'm sent things, and the time is not the correct time. So you just have to like double check all that stuff in advance. You don't want the first five minutes of your interview to be like, oh, I'm really sorry. My Zoom connection isn't working. My internet is out. Like, can you hear me? <laughs> you know? The doorbell is ringing, these types of things, right? Because it's going to give you a really bad impression. It's going to make a terrible impression on the other person. Absolutely. And as we begin to wind down, Vicki, I want you to leave the listeners and viewers with your call to action for this segment. And then afterwards, please plug your website information and where you primarily hang out on social media. Okay, thank you. Um, my tagline for this segment is to make sure that you are you at your best when you have your interviews. 
And you can do that with lots of practice, practice with your friends, you know, on Zoom, but also you can do that just by being prepared. Being prepared is half the battle in an interview. And then in terms of my social media, I'm basically, I really love LinkedIn. That's like my go-to social media. And I also, I'm on Facebook, you know, I'm on Twitter, um, a little bit on Instagram, but I love LinkedIn. That's the best one for me. And my uh, website is VickiOliver.com, Vicky with a Y, V-I-C-K-Y, Oliver.com. And my books are available on Amazon. And for your LinkedIn, is it um, under your name, Vicki Oliver? Yes. Okay. And then do you want to, um, on social media, even though you hang out primarily on Instagram, I mean, on LinkedIn, do you want to drive any traffic over to your other social media platforms? Um, I mean, Facebook, I'm on, I'm, I'm on everything, but I just, because LinkedIn is business oriented, that's my go-to, you know, but I'm on everything. I'm out there on Twitter, you know, I'm there, but I'm saying I like LinkedIn the best. And there you have it, listeners and viewers of GEMS Podcast. You just heard Vicki Oliver. We talked about job hopping post-pandemic. She gave us some really valuable tips on how to set yourself up for success whenever you are interviewing for remote positions and et cetera. Make sure you connect with her. All of her um, contact information will be in the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe and share this segment. Also, leave us a review. Let me know what you liked about this interview, what questions you have, and I make and I will make sure I get them over to Vicky. And then for those of you who are interested in video content, follow us on YouTube at Gems with Genesis Amaris Kemp for all things video. And lastly, but not least, we are actually looking for brand sponsors for Gems Podcast, where the mission is to educate inspire and motivate while we intersect the dots with diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging because it takes all of us to come together to really create those synergies in order to make this world a better place. And you'll find out that we are ranked in the top 3% globally out of 2.8 million podcasts per www.listennotes.com. And you can find out more information about becoming a sponsor by heading on over to my website, which is genesisamarskemp.net. Until next time, peace, love, and lots of blessings. Be an asset, not a liability. Thank you for listening to another segment of GEMS Podcast. Hope you enjoyed this recording. Make sure you like, comment, share, and subscribe to GEMS Podcast on your audio platform, as well as our YouTube channel, GEMS with Genesis Amaris Kemp. We would love for you to be a sponsor, so please reach out via email at GEMS, G-E-M-S, with W-I-T-H, Genesis, G-E-N-E-S-I-S, Amaris, A-M-A-R-I-S, Kemp, K-E-M-P at gmail.com, where your brand, your swag, your services can be here on GEMS Podcasts.